Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind-the-scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change-making progress, and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world. And now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose. Good day and welcome once again to another episode of Logistics with Purpose. I'm your host, Enrique Alvarez, and I have a co-host today, Christy. How are you doing? Always great to have you with me. I know. It's fun to be back together again. I'm good. I'm, I got my sweater on. I'm enjoying the cooler temperatures, so it's a, it's a good day. It's definitely a good day, and we have an amazing guest. And this is actually the second time that we've done this together, back to back. So I'm happy to the to having the opportunity as well. Absolutely. Without further ado, we have an amazing guest. I had the pleasure of meeting her during the CEO Summit in Austin a couple of weeks ago. Sam Horn, founder and CEO at the Intrigue Agency, keynoter, best-selling author, executive leadership coach, communication strategist, strategist, and just a Truly inspiring person. Sam, how are you doing today? And welcome, welcome to the show. You know, I am just wonderful. In fact, uh, as we come to the end of 2023, I like to do a review preview, you know, look back over the year and what are our highlights, what are lessons learned, and then look ahead to our Ikigai, what lights us up and what we're looking forward to in the new year. That's amazing. And again, I I had a blast meeting you and you are so thoughtful and caring. So I'm very excited to have you here today. So thank you for doing this. And I'm sure everyone that's listening to this episode is going to have a blast as well. Yes, you already bring such great energy. Well, I'm glad you're recording it because many people tell me they listen to this again (laughs) and again, whether it's on their workout or on their rock or run or drive or something, because and I hope they have paper and pen. I'm a Luddite, and I really believe in inking it when we think it. So hopefully there's some nuggets in here they can't wait to apply to their different projects. I I couldn't keep up with the way that you, I mean, you were telling us to, literally, Christy, she was just stopping everyone and say, okay, take a pen note, and they just write (laughs) this down. But it's just too much. It was like, you're right that it's a good idea to record it so you can then probably play it back, maybe even a little bit slower, because there's really good thoughtful insights into what you were telling telling us. And without further ado, Christy, I think all yours, you start. We're thrilled. And we want to hear more about the rest of your career and what you're currently doing and what you've built in your career. But we always love to start by asking people a little bit about their background so we can get a better understanding of where they came from and how they got to where they are now. So I guess to start us off, just tell us a little bit about your childhood and where you grew up. <sighs> I'm happy to do that. And by the way, this is a a box within a box. So not only will I tell you that story, we'll pull out of it. And for context, because I know we have a lot of seasoned entrepreneurs and executives, whether it's trucking or shipping, logistics, supply chain, et cetera. So not just my origin story. I hope everyone who's listening is thinking about their origin story, because write this one down. Our originality is in our origin story, right? You know, that's what's one of a kind about us. When people know where we're coming from and where we began to care, that's when they began to care. So if people who are listening are preparing a talk or writing a book or going to give a presentation to their board or something, if Simon Sinek tells us to start with why, good for Simon. He's made a difference for a lot of people. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think if we start with why, sometimes it's generic. Well, I do this because I want to make a difference. Well, everyone wants to make a difference. So see, that's generic. The genius is in the question you just asked, Christy. No, start with where. Where did we get this epiphany? Where did we start in this position? Where did we get the idea for our business? Where did we be decide enough we're going to do things differently? So now my origin story <laughs> is that, that I'm excited. I grew up in a really small town, more horses than people. In fact, a reporter <laughs> asked last year, where did you get your confidence? I got my confidence on the back of a horse. I had a big old rangy Palomino. He had two speeds, a trot and a run. He never, ever walked. He never, ever loped or cantered. He always flat out run. It was like chaos. Here's the point, though, is that even when I was eight years old and my sister was nine, we would be gone all day on our horses. And our parents did not worry. They did not caution us. Oh, you know, what if they get bucked off? It's like, get bucked off? figure it out. Bridal breaks, figure it out. So see, even at age eight and nine, I was learning to be resourceful. And instead of seeing the world as a dangerous place and worrying what could go wrong and living in this fear, we knew things would go wrong and we had the confidence to figure it out. So thank heaven for Nukuyama, California, and for my Palomino Joe and my parents for teaching me to see the world as an adventurous place and trusting that whatever happens, I can figure it out. Well, yeah. kudos to your parents in that regards, because I'm a I'm a dad and it's hard. I, I still, I, to your point, I remember when I was growing up, my parents let me do a lot more things that I kind of let my kids do <laughs> in a much more scarier way because we didn't have phones, we didn't have cell phones, they didn't know our location at all time. It's a good story. Thank you for sharing. And and by the way, for the parents out there, it is that my sons grew up in Maui. And if there is good surf, you go surfing, right? If there's medium right. surf, you go boogie boarding. If there's decent surf, then you go body surfing. And if there's no surf, you do what's called skim boarding. It's like you have a board, you run, you throw it on the wet sand, you <laughs> jump on it, and then you do a little flip into the incoming six inch wave, hopefully. <laughs> Well, people break their neck all the time. Mm. And, and I had a decision to make as a mom. And it comes from Maria Montessori. And she said, you don't help your kids when you help your kids. And I was afraid on their behalf that something would go wrong. However, I knew if I forbid them from skimboarding, then in a way it would emasculate them at a very young age. Their peers were skimboarding and they couldn't, that as a mom would be overprotective. And so the key word is trust. I said, I trust that you'll use good judgment. You know, I trust that, that you'll be able to, to be safe. And so as a parent, I think it's this delicate balance between letting our kids make their own mistakes and be adventurous and uh, sometimes things don't work out perfectly. However, what's happening is they're building the self-confidence and the self-reliance and the belief of, of seeing the world as this grand adventure instead of uh, restricting themselves right. and retreating and withdrawing. Your thoughts about that? 
No, I totally agree with you. I feel like it's very important for people to learn that it's okay to make mistakes. Not only children or kids, but in general. And I feel I do see a lot of that right now. People just a little bit anxious and hesitant to make decisions or or go for things, even though they want them, because they they fear failure. And and I feel like if you don't make mistakes, if you can't fail, then you're really not ready for for this world or life in general. Yeah, it reminds me too a little bit of our last podcast guest when we talked about grit and perseverance and determination, which it was started reminding me of that when you were talking about the horse, but also especially with your kids and just how much those lessons can really carry you through your life and set you up for a life that you're willing to take chances and take calculated risks and welcome some sort of something that's going to push back against you when you're uncomfortable and be able to get through on the other side and how that sets you up, whether you're an employee in a company or an entrepreneur or anything in between. But yeah, I love that. Great lessons. So Sam, going back to you again, and in your earlier days, you must have tons of different stories. Could you share another one with us? One that kind of started helping you shape the person that you are now, some story that you might be actually then relating to your professional career. That you're like, this is this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Absolutely. So I'm going to tell the story and we're going to pull out and observe as well. So we're looking at the craft is that I believe it's it used to be make a point, tell a story, make a point, tell a story. I think that's backwards. No, it's tell the story, make the point, tell the story, make the point. Because this is real life and this is rhetoric. And so when I'm on a podcast or when I'm speaking, if I want to make a point, I often start with the real world story and then we unpack it. What's the epiphany, the lesson learned, et cetera. So I'll start with the story is that we lived on a ranch in this small town of New Cuyama. And one night we got a call like 3 a.m. in the morning while our cattle had broken through the fence and were out on the county road. Well, the blaming began, you know, it's like you were the one who, well, you're the one who, and my dad said, you know, you can blame and bellyache or we can get busy and fix this. And so we all got up, we stopped blaming and finger pointing and bellyaching. It was cold, it's 3 a.m., et cetera. And we just got busy fixing it. And we went out, we got the cattle, we put them back in the pasture, we fixed the fence. And so that is actually a river that runs through my life and my work is that if something goes wrong, I can bellyache about it or I can blame or I can get busy. And that's actually the core of talking on eggshells as well. Uh, John F. Kennedy said, our task is not to fix the blame for the past. It's to fix the course for the future. So here's to wow. getting busy instead of bellyaching and blaming. Yeah. Sounds Thank like you. Know. Yeah, that's a, that's a great <laughs> quote as well. This And a really good story. It sounds like your parents were amazing parents. What are their names, by the way? It's Warren Reed and Ruth Reed. And thank you for saying that. And as a parent myself, I have so much appreciation. Uh, another story is that a psychologist said, you know, what is one thing you remember your parents saying? And I didn't even have to think about it. It was right there because one night uh, rabbits, I was in 4-H, dad was in charge of FFA. So we had rabbits in the backyard and it was, it was freezing cold, snowing, et cetera. And my, my parents said, have you fed the rabbits yet? Well, all kinds of excuses. Oh, I'm going to do it in the morning, <laughs> you know, it's like it's cold, et cetera. And do you know what they said? Do the right thing. Mm -hmm. 
I said, do I have <laughs> to feed the rabbits tonight? And they didn't say, no, you have to feed the rabbits tonight. How many times do we have to tell you? Think about those poor rabbits. They just said, do the right thing. Yeah. And I will always wow. be grateful to my parents for teaching me that in any given situation, there's excuses or action, there's reasons or results. And if we ask ourselves, do the right thing, we often know what to do instead of all the reasons why not to do it. Wow. Obviously, it helped create a compass inside you as well. So that's really beautiful. Well, it's clear just from the short conversation we've had so far, and Enrique had the privilege of hearing you speak at Conscious Capitalism's gathering. I did not, but just from our few minutes here together, you, I love the way you speak. I love the way you communicate. It's clear that that's important to you. Even our emails, I mentioned that earlier before we got on, you're very clear in your email communication, which I <laughs> really appreciate. And that everything you do, it seems like it brings a very collaborative and communicative process to everyone involved. I'm curious... There's a difference between you could have lived that out in any number of ways. Certainly, there are a lot of directions to go, probably a lot of forks in your path, like a lot of us. So I'm curious how you discovered this part of your mission and vocation. And so two stories. Okay. I'm, I'm going to do one more about my dad, because when I reflect back, I realize how pivotal it was that without even understanding it at the time that he was giving me the river that was going to run through my work. He was giving me my secret sauce. And then how I turned it into this career is that small town once again, and I was, you know, selected as valedictorian for my graduating class, you know, you know, small town, big whoop, right? <laughs> and so I prepared my little talk and I gave it to my dad, Future Farmers of America is very, they have a public speaking track because they were visionary right. and they realized you can be a farmer and a rancher, but if you're not good at speaking, you won't be able to negotiate deals. You won't be able to advocate for yourself. I think it's the same in logistics, right? We can be tactically, yeah. technically very good. If we cannot speak clearly, concisely, compellingly, convincingly, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Mm -hmm. So back to dad. So I gave my little bird leaving the nest homily and uh, asked him what he thought. And he was quiet for a moment and he knew I wanted the truth. So he said, it's an okay talk. You just <laughs> didn't say anything I hadn't heard before. Wow. And I, and he didn't, he wasn't trying to hurt my feelings. He was trying to give me honest feedback. Right. And I said, well, dad, there's nothing new under the sun. And he said, Sam, if we're going to ask people for their time, it is our responsibility to introduce something they haven't heard before. And I said, dad, wow. there's nothing original. And he said, do you know what the definition of is original? If people haven't heard it before, it's original. And that's why in all my books and all my presentations, my, my standard for myself is, am I saying something people haven't heard before? Because they're smart and they're talented and they've been around the block a few times and it is offensive to simply repeat platitudes or cliches that everyone knows it's a waste of their time and mine. So I try not to do it. Wow. Well, speaking of original projects, one of the first ones you worked on was Tongfu. Could you give us a story behind that? And then also tell us a little bit more because you've been helping people through this project for more than 30 years, I believe, I believe right? We're dating myself, Enrique. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm in three years. <laughs> well, we've been, we've been saying how early you got started. So, well done. 
Nice, nice say, Christy. Yes, it's uh, okay. So back to a story. And this one is about Dr. Ray Oshiro is when I moved to Hawaii, I went to the University of Hawaii the very first week I was there and pitched a course on concentration. A few years before I had been reading the Washington Post. And I noticed that the word concentration was used six times on the front page of the sports section. Chrissy Everett said it was why she won the U.S. Open. A golfer missed a gimme putt on a sudden death playoff hole, blamed it on the clicking cameras of the nearby photographers. And I thought, you know, we all wish we could concentrate better. I have never seen any books on that topic. I have never heard anyone speak on that topic. So I started interviewing people. Did anyone ever teach you how to concentrate? What do you do to help yourself concentrate when it's busy or and you're being interrupted and you've got multiple projects? What do you do when you lose your concentration? And at the end of that very first workshop, 16 people came up afterwards and said, please come speak for our convention, our employees. <laughs> please come speak for our corporation. And so when I moved to Hawaii, I went to University of Hawaii and I pitched the concentration course. And that kind of officially started my speaking career. And then a year later, Dr. Ray Oshiro came up to me and he said, Sam, we're, we're getting a lot of requests for a program on conflict resolution. And do you think you could put together a course on that? So I did. And it was called dealing with difficult people without becoming one yourself we all need a little bit of that right i know i'm like is there a way that. To send that uh, anonymous so people? yeah trying to kill them is not an option then right <laughs> no not not chapter one and at the first break of that workshop there was a man and he was sitting and he was kind of gazing off into space he didn't get up to get a cup of coffee go outside and get some fresh air and i'm curious and i went over and i said what are you thinking about and he said sam I'm a real estate broker. He said, I took this course because I thought we were going to talk about zingers that we can fire back at people and put them in their place. You know, he said, I deal with some very demanding people. They seem to think they can treat me any way they want to. And I'm tired of it. He said, uh, but this isn't about zingers, is it? And I said, you're right. It's not about putting people in their place. It's about putting ourselves in their place so we can respond with compassion instead of contempt. And he was the one who said, I'm a student of martial arts. He said, I've studied karate, taekwondo, judo. He said, what you're talking about is like a verbal form of kung fu, isn't it? Eureka, tongue fu, martial <laughs> arts for the mind and mouth. And that's how it all started. Wow, that's a great story. That is a great story. And yeah, to be able to have such interesting and valuable feedback automatically too. Sometimes I feel like people have to wait a long time to get something like that, but it's clear how you impacted him immediately. Well, I also want to mention, of course, the Intrigue Agency, great name to start with. You've had a lot of impressive clients there. No surprise, Richard Branson, HP, National Geographic, NASA have all talked to you about communication methods and getting better at that. I don't think I'm in marketing, but I don't think anybody is going to argue that every business needs clear and strategic communication. But I'm curious, and I can't wait to hear your answer for this. I'm curious as to how you define it and the gaps that you see. 
Okay. Well, now Enrique knows this. I'm a Luddite. I believe in taking notes, right? Enrique, you went, okay, how long is it going to be till Sam gets in? I'm ready. I, I am ready. I already put my three columns and I'm ready to write it down. <laughs> okay. So unless people are driving, I hope they grab some paper right now. And if you like digital, that's fine. It's just I'm going to show why I believe in what I call juxta rows. Okay. If you put a vertical line down the center, over on the left are going to be the beliefs and the behaviors that sabotage our success. And over on the right are going to be the beliefs and the behaviors that support our success. Over on the left are the attitudes and the actions that compromise our effectiveness. And over on the right, are the attitudes and the actions that contribute to our effectiveness. Because by the way, next time you're in a meeting and you're brainstorming, strategizing how to resolve a problem or how to launch something or, or how to uh, resolve a, a slow supply chain or, or whatever, over on the left, write down the barriers to entry, what's going wrong, what's compromising people's effectiveness, what's sabotaging the success of this launch, write it all down over here. Now we move over to like, okay, what can we do differently? What can we start? What can we stop? What can we initiate? What can we, and you know, a colleague of mine, Steve Persante is the publisher of Barrett Kohler. Barrett Kohler was publisher of the year a few years ago. And I asked him, Steve, what is your criteria for publishing a book? And do you know what he said? Three words, show the shift. So do you see if when we're taking notes and when we're listening and when we're learning, if we start just thinking, well, well, this is a recommendation. This is a suggestion. This will move us forward. It goes on the right. No, this is the pushback. This is the objections. This is, you know, whatever. What we're doing literally and figuratively, we're getting everyone on the same page, right? We're codifying what isn't working and we're shifting to what could work. And so furthermore, a lot of times when people are talking, they're all over the map. We can't follow it. Guess what? This gives us a map. So back to your question now about, about the intrigue agency and why it's different and what we do that I think helps us in the world speak more clearly and compellingly and convincingly. Over on the left, please the, put the word infobesity. Over on the left, put the word infobesity. Now I'll give you a story that I think shows not only what infobesity is, the dangers of it, the consequences of it, how it negatively impacts us. And then I'll give an example of what we can do over on the right, put intrigue, how we can turn infobesity into intrigue. So we have people at hello instead of losing them at hello. Here's the story. Uh, you may know that I helped start and run the Maui Writers Conference. Writers Digest said it was the best writers conference in the world. What can is to the film industry for 17 years, we were to the publishing industry. You could jump the wow. chain of command and pitch your screenplay to Ron Howard. You know, you could pitch your novel to the head of Simon and Schuster. Your business people, imagine going to the best person in your profession, having an opportunity to share your idea. Here's what happened. The first year, a woman came out of her pitch session with tears in her eyes. And I went over, I said, are you okay? 
she said, I'm not okay. I just saw my dream go down the drain. And I said, what happened? She said, I put my 300 page manuscript on the table and the agent took one look at it and said, I don't have time to read all that. Tell me in 60 seconds what it's about and why someone would want to read it. She said, my mind went blank. I thought it was my job to write it. I thought it was their job to sell it. She said, three years of work, my golden opportunity down the drain. And I talked with Bob Loomis that night, who is senior VP of Random House's clients, or Maya Angelou, et cetera. I said, Bob, what's going on? He said, Sam, we've seen thousands of proposals. We make up our mind in 60 seconds, whether wow. something is commercially viable, right? And that next day, I went and I stood in the back of the room and I watched people who had flown in from around the world for this golden opportunity to sit with a decision maker who had the authority to give them a deal on the spot. And I could predict who was going to get a deal without hearing a word being said. Guess how? Body language. Body language, in particular, the decision maker's eyebrows. Because right now, both of you and everyone watching, listening, <laughs> crunch up your eyebrows if you would, right? Okay. Do you feel confused? Yes. Confused people yeah. say yes. Now, just let your eyebrows stay unmoved. If we're sharing our idea, if we're telling someone our plan, if we're talking about our new program and the eyebrows are like this, it means they don't get it. Yeah. And if they don't get it, we don't get it, <laughs> right? If their eyebrows are unmoved it means they're unmoved or they've had botox now now right now lift your eyebrows if you would ah do you feel intrigued <laughs> curious like you want to know more that means we just got what we care about in your mental door so what the intrigue agency is about whether we're introducing ourselves at a national conference whether we're giving a presentation whether we're giving a report at a meeting we can predict in 60 seconds whether people are buying into it, whether they're enthused about it, whether they're on board, whether they're ready to move forward with it, or whether they don't get it or they're confused or they don't like it. Just by the eyebrows, my whole goal is to turn infobesity, wah, 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 into eyebrows up intrigue so that we capture and keep people's attention. That's amazing. Wow. I love I that. Do you, uh, yes, and we live in a world that's full of infobesity, as you mentioned, right? There's just too much. It's uh, it's hard to really keep up with all the different information that we are bombarded with every day. So this is very, very helpful. And you actually have a, a recipe, somewhat of a strategy to do this. And I know that I know that because I, I heard you give this to, uh, to, to us on the CEO Summit, but it would be if you have the time. I think people will be more than interested in learning a little bit more about this and learning a little bit more about how they can kind of improve their personal pitches or just their personal spiel when they're selling something. Okay. So yes, in fact, Christy and Enrique, let's make this a real world relevant right now. Okay. I, I like it. A fresh piece of paper. Okay. And now, Enrique, Christy, are you, you doing it electronically or any paper? I have, Wait, I am totally digital. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I'm going to refrain so people don't have to hear my keys. <laughs> type. Okay. Okay. So digitally or on paper, whatever okay. is like everyone put a vertical line down the center and put infobesity at the top of the left-hand column and put intrigue on the top of the right-hand column. 
Now over on top of the left, put tell. Now please think of a situation you're going to be walking into in the next week or two where you're going to be asking for funding, where you're going to be uh, explaining something to your team and you want them to get excited about it, move it forward, where something's gone wrong and you need to report it to your board or whatever. So think of a situation where you're going to be asking for something, recommending something. Over on the left, whatever you do, in the first 60 seconds, don't tell them what you're going to tell them. Because haven't we been taught to tell people what we're going to tell them, tell them. That's right. a prescription for being a bore, snore, or chore. You know, <laughs> telling is infobesity, right? Mm -hmm. So put over on the left, plus it's one-way communication. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, you're in the passive, often the judgmental state, right? I'm almost holding you hostage by telling you something, explaining something, going into details about it. One way, I'm active, you're passive. So here's the story that you were talking about. And then I hope everyone listening is thinking about how they're gonna do their first 60 seconds different. So here's the story. Uh, I was the pitch coach for Springboard Enterprises, which has helped entrepreneurs generate $27 billion in funding. This is Robin Chase of Zipcar, Gail Goodman of Constant Contact. So one of my clients comes to me. She says, Sam, I got good news and I got bad news. I said, what's good news? She said, I'm speaking in front of a room full of investors at the Paley Center in New York. I said, that's fantastic news. What's the bad news? She said, I'm going at 2.30 in the afternoon. And I only have 10 minutes. She said, you can't say anything in 10 minutes. How am I going to talk about my patent pending, my financial projections, our team credentials, our business model? And I said, Kathleen, Kathleen Calendar of PharmaJet, you don't have 10 minutes. You have 60 seconds. 60 seconds. That's right. <laughs> now, here's the 60 second opening we came up with. Now, first, what did she use to start her presentations with, her elevator pitch with, when people said, what do you do? Tell me about PharmaJet or whatever. What did she used to say? It's a medical delivery device for subcutaneous inoculations. It's a what? Look, she just told us what her invention was and we didn't get it. We're confused. Crunch eyebrows. We don't keep listening, right? Here's what we came up with. 60 seconds. Ready? Go. Did you know there are 1.8 billion vaccinations given every year? Did you know up to a third of them are given with reused needles? Did you know we're spreading and perpetuating the very diseases we're trying to prevent? Imagine if there were a painless one-use needle for a fraction of the current cost. You don't have to imagine it. We're doing it and she's off and running. Are your eyebrows up? All right. Let's unpack this, all right? It has three steps. And once again, I hope everyone is thinking about the situation. Are they walking into a boardroom? Are they doing an international Zoom call? Are they talking with their board? All right, first step. What are three did you know questions that have startling statistics about the problem you're solving, about the issue you're addressing, or about the need you're meeting? So now, where do you find these startling statistics? You Google that stuff. I guarantee you, if this were a workshop, we would ask you to go online right now and put into search, what are startling statistics about blank? 
you know, the supply chain, you know, in uh, November, 2023. Plenty of good ones about the supply chain, right? (laughs) You know, about the trucking strike, about the increase in number of people who are relying on a rail or something like that. It's like, what's going on with the ship in the Suez Canal? I mean, if we put in the problem we're solving, what we're recommending, the industry, the demographic, et cetera, up will come recent statistics that are startling that even we didn't know. And you see, if we're an expert and we don't know it, they don't know it. And it's one of the quickest ways to get skeptical people's attention because when we introduce something they didn't know, I didn't know it was that bad. I didn't know that many people were affected. I didn't know it was getting worse. I didn't know it cost that much. Do you see? Look what happens. Eyebrows up. Now we're intrigued, you know, right? Which is back to your dad, right? Being the original, that's the original component to the whole equation, full circle on this. That's exactly right. And look, we're asking instead of telling. It's now two-way instead of one-way. So that's the first step. Now, the second step, use this word, imagine. Because when we say imagine, people are seeing what we're saying. They're picturing our point. In their mind, they're not distracted or preoccupied. They're fully visually engaged. And by the way, when people are confused and something becomes crystal clear, do you know what they say almost involuntarily? I see now. Do you see with one word, once again, we're going from rhetoric to real life, from an idea to an image because they're seeing it now. And now connect the word imagine with three advantages of what it is you're proposing, of three benefits of what it is you're requesting or recommending. So go back to Kathleen Calendar. What were her decision makers thinking about? Were they thinking about painful inoculation, so we made it painless? They're thinking about reused needles, so we made it one use. Most decision makers care about money, so we made it a fraction of the current cost. Now look, in a world of wah 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 infobesity, we distilled her UVP into one succinct sentence. And people are going, sounds good. <laughs> Why wouldn't we do that? You know, I want that. Now the third step. These words, these exact words, write them down. You don't have to imagine it. We're doing it. Now you come in with your precedence and your evidence to show this isn't speculative, pie in the sky. This is a done deal. And here's a benchmark of where it has been done successfully somewhere else. Here's a reference or a testimonial from someone they know and trust vouching for our results. And you know what? You can do all of that. Did you know this, this, this? Imagine this, this, this. You don't have to imagine it. We're doing it in 60 seconds. And now people are pleasantly surprised and intrigued because it's the opposite of infobesity. Yeah. Amazing. And that's a good structure. Christy, I know why you're laughing. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead if you want to tell something. No, I, I'm laughing because I'm like, here's my inner light bulb because I'm we're working on some videos for Enrique. And he comes back to me with that exact word. It wasn't my original <laughs> idea, but you didn't know it. So. I didn't know. <laughs> it was original. So to you. he took his notes and um, he is executing on them. Just so you know, he did he did his homework. No, Sam, this will make you happy too, because after the conference, you told us about this and we got 
got at least, I got personally, at least two emails from friends of mine that attended the conference saying, hey, do you mind reading through my three questions? My So everyone's kind of like thinking about the structure so they can kind of reshape the way they're presenting their company to others or selling something in such a way that's just original, I guess. Yeah. And welcome. I mean, it's, it's like, what do we, you know, E.M. Forster at the end of his life was asked his most important lesson and he thought about it and he said two words, only connect, right? That's well, and mean. and this is a perfect set way, changing gears a little bit, because on your website, you mentioned that your goal is to honor our gift of life by being, and I will actually read this because I don't want to miss any of this powerful adjectives that you used, by being a better person, parent, partner, leader, starting today, not someday. And this is kind of like the philosophy that you that you use for your for your book, which I love the title, Someday is Not a Day in the Week. Can you tell us a little more about this philosophy and how in particular, not only the philosophy itself, but now going a little bit more deeper into you, because we want to get to know you better. I mean, what does this philosophy say to you? What 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 can you tell us a little bit about that? Good. Well, you you know what's coming a story right <laughs> we okay. love we love stories and you have been the easiest interview we've ever had by the way yeah. so thank you so much <laughs> you bet well and they're real see they're stories but and they're they're specifically they're anecdotes mm-hmm. you know an anecdote is a real life example so it's not it was a dark and stormy night story that's kind of made up or i got from the internet no these are all true real life examples that have dialogue, you know, that we can put people in the scene, I can relive it and reenact it, not just tell it. So I'll put you in the scene. It was eight years ago, I just finished a very intensive consult in Southern California. And my son calls right in the middle of it. And he sensed something in my voice. And he said, what's up, mom? I said, Andrew, I'm so exhausted. I don't even know how I'm going to get on that plane tonight. I've got to turn in my rental car, fly back to D.C. Two days from now, I've got to fly back to San Francisco. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And he thought about it for a moment. And he said, you know, Mom, there's something about you I don't understand. You're an entrepreneur. You have your own business. You can do anything you want to. And you're not taking advantage of it. Out of the mouths of 20-somethings. And Brede Brown says, exhaustion is not a status symbol. And it really helped me look at my life. And and the day after that call, I saw a quote from Paulo Coelho. And he said, one day we're going to wake up and there won't be any time left to do the things we've always wanted to do. And I realized I love my life. I love speaking and consulting and writing. You know, I love working with smart, talented people. The fact is, is that I'd been saying yes to everyone for a long time. You know, when you're an entrepreneur and someone wants to pay you to jump on a plane and go to some five-star resort and speak, you know, you say yes, right? And as a result, I was exhausted and I was on an aircraft carrier. And I knew a Navy captain one time, and he said, you know how you turn an aircraft carrier? You don't. (laughs) You you can turn off the engines, and that thing will keep plowing ahead for 10 miles just just based on the momentum. And see, I think many of us are on aircraft carrier careers that that we keep doing what we've been doing. It's what we are educated for. It's what we're good at. It's what we're getting paid for. And see, 
even if we love it, even if we're making a difference, it's still an aircraft carrier. And I realized I wanted to fly off the carrier for a while. So I gave away 95% of what I owned and I headed out on a year by the water. And I swam with Zach the dolphin and I sailed the Chesapeake Bay and I went to Monet's garden and I interviewed people and I asked him, are you happy? And if so, why? And if not, why not? And the vast majority of people said, I want to do what you're doing. And I would say, well, why aren't you? And they would give me right. I've got kids, you know, to raise. I've got a business to run. I've got, you know, mortgage to pay, et cetera. And I started realizing that that we assume an automatic tomorrow. We think that we'll be able to take that vacation. We'll be able to do that when we have more time. And the Buddha said, the thing is, we think we have more time. And the reality is, Rene Ricard said, tomorrow is another day, but so was yesterday. And so that book, Someday is Not a Day in the Week, hopefully helps us crystallize who and what is really important in our life and to make time for them now, not someday. <laughs>